who are stuck between the already and the not yet. We are your kingdom people here to live by your kingdom power for your kingdom glory. Even as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth now as it is in heaven. Lord, you came once to bring peace on earth. And that peace is a, is a, is a kingdom peace that should reign in your kingdom people's hearts. And Lord, as we anchor our hope in the fulfillment of promise, the promise of the coming one, the Messiah, that we just sang about. And as we experience the peace that comes from that place, Lord, may the joy flow from us because we are looking up at what is to come. For we are made for a bigger, better reality than this. Even as you call us to make a kingdom difference here in this place. Lord, let your word do that in our hearts right now where you reign Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat and grab your Bibles. We are in uh, week five, I guess, of this series. We're calling The Weary World Rejoices. And it's what we were going into the Christmas Advent season with. We actually started it before, um, before Thanksgiving. And so we looked at uh, this idea, where, like sort of the, the tagline for the series is, letting your soul rejoice, praise in the coming King. And we talked about, like, so we've been talking about, like, how do you do that? I mean, as, as, was, as was shared during our um, prayer time, as was shared during even the songs that we sang, it's a lot easier to say sometimes than it is to do. It's easier for us to say that we find our hope and our peace and our joy in Christ than it is to actually live it out. So we started back before Thanksgiving to give our hearts as much of a running start at this Christmas as we could, and we talked about how... Um, how we have to, um, what was the, fir the first message before Christmas was, um, it takes practice, right? It like, it, like doing these things, hope, peace, and, and joy, it takes practice to experience those. So we need to start by giving thanks, and we talked about that. And then we looked at how we need to find our hope in finding Him. And then last week I taught on this idea that, that, we, that we can experience this soul rejoicing by remembering that His power is our peace, and that leads us into this joy that we experience. But before we get to joy today, and the message that the, that the angel gives to the shepherds, I, I want to take us back to pre-Thanksgiving, when we talked about thankfulness and gratitude. And our first talking points question was, or is, it's on, it's on your bulletin insert, is what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? So I want to just ask, answer, just Bark out answers. What are you grateful for? My wife. Awesome. Family. family. Well, I heard something over here. Family. We had family in stereo. Family. Awesome. What else? What? I can't. Water. The earth. Awesome. A house. Freedom. The stars. Is that what I heard? The stars? Cars. Oh, cars. Okay, good. Beats walking. What? That we're alive. That's a good one. The breath in our lungs, right? What else? Completions of weddings. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, I can relate to that on a lot of levels, John, so thank you for sharing that one. Um, Guys, you kind of get the, uh, the point, and, and this was what uh, Mark and Karis were leading us into as it related to joy, but even with, with, with gratitude, thankfulness, um, those are choices that we make, 
And, and the way we fight this internal voice, Mark mentioned it, that like we speak to ourselves more than any other person does. And in and, and the recent studies where people have actually um, researched this, about 90% of what you say to yourself is negative. About, so if you, if you talk to yourself more than anybody else speaks to you, more than any other input, whether that's a person or a device or whatever comes to you, you actually are more than anybody, and 90% of that is negative, man, we can see why it's such a fight for things like hope and peace and joy. And one of the antidotes to that is what we just did. Just stopping and going, but let me just stop and, and talk about what we're great, what we ought to be grateful for. You know, I mentioned, I think it was last week, that, that, that part of why it's such a struggle for us to maintain gratefulness, for us to maintain joy, is because we live in a society now where we have access to not just our own bad junk, but all the bad junk in the world all the time. And we were not designed by God to handle that. Your body, your, physically, mentally, you were not made to know about every bad thing that's going on. But it gets better. Or worse, because you know what? You know what the media does? And you know what your social media does? Is it actually curates for you. Isn't this nice? The, guys, the, the, I'm not making this up. I mean, there are, you can go out, you can Google this, what social media does. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They bring to the top of your list the negative things. So, it, so when you, if you, if Google does it too. When you Google something, it brings the negative links, the things that are anti or negative or bad news about whatever it is you're researching, it brings them to the top of your list. You know why though? Not because I think, I mean, there may be some insidiousness to those organizations. I set that aside. That's what we click on. The reason they do it is because they're trying to get money from selling ads. So they need clicks. So they put the negative things at the top of your list because as crazy as it seems, we seek out the negative. That's what makes like fighting for joy, like that need to fight for joy. And, and I didn't know Mark and Karis were going to talk about that today during our prayer time. That's what makes it so important. It makes it because, because the world is fighting to steal our joy. Right? And so it's really important that we spend some time talking about joy. Now, now part of last thing in my introduction, part of, part of what we'll sometimes say is, okay, easy for you to say, Doug, if my life were just better, if the circumstances were just better, then I would find joy. But joy is a byproduct of gratitude and thankfulness. You don't become joyful and then get grateful. You, be, you are grateful for what Christ has done for you, and that will make you joyful. And we have to change that perspective about us. And so with that, we're going to look at what, what, how God tells us we're going to experience joy. So today what we're looking at the, uh, today is, um, so how do we see the good news with great joy? And what should that do for our souls? How do we see the good news with great joy, and, and how, what should that do for our souls? Why should the gospel... Bring us great joy. Now, it sounds obvious. I mean, we're, we're, you know, most of us in here are Christians, and most of us would say, yeah, of course the gospel, the good news, should bring us great joy. But, but I don't think it's quite, I, I think, even over the last two weeks, what we've looked at, and when we looked at hope and peace, we have seen that Christians probably struggle with hope and peace, and today, joy, as much or more than anybody. Just think about it. In your world... 
in your, in your physical world, your literal world, your family world, your, your meta world on the internet, are the Christians in that world the most obviously joy-filled people in your circle? And I would say more often than not, lately, the answer is no. We're bitter, we're angry, we feel like we're losing, and so that makes us less hopeful, less peace-filled, and less joyful. And so I think we need a friendly reminder about um, how to experience joy. And that's why I wanted to go to this passage today. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 8. And what Luke is going to show us in this very well-known scene during the Christmas time, when the angels show up to the shepherds, is he is going, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That's what I meant. Luke 2, verse 8. What, what Luke is going to show us in this, in this well-known passage is he's going to show us that the reason the gospel should bring us great joy is that it is the announcement that we are saved, it is the proclamation that peace has come, and it is the power by which your life is changed. And he shows us that in these few verses that we're going to look at. So with that, let's look at our first point. So why should the gospel bring us great joy? Because it's the, it's the announcement that the Savior has come. Right? It's the announcement that we are saved. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. So where we are in the story, we've passed up. So Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem. Jesus was born. I am not belittling that. We'll get back to that next, or in, um, in a couple weeks when we get to Christmas Eve. Um, but look at verse 8. So now what happens is, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, Bethlehem was the city of David. It was where Jesus was born. It was also where they would raise the sheep that they would take to Jerusalem, seven miles away, to slaughter on Good Friday as the Passover lamb. I was blessed in 2017 to get to go to Israel, and I went with 12 guys, only two of them I knew, and we backpacked. So we hiked about 100 miles, we walked about 100 miles in seven days in country, and part of that time, we took a taxi bus thing into, Jeru or into Bethlehem. Bethlehem is now a Palestinian like, pro, like area, so they have it all fenced off, and, the, and a Palestinian community lives there. There are Jews that live there as well, very few Christians. But because we were there, they just dropped us off, and then we just put our packs back on, and we started walking around Bethlehem. Well, because we were off the beaten path, in other words, we were on a big tour with big tour buses, um, we sometimes stumbled upon some pretty cool things. So we happened to see this area where there were a bunch of holes in the ground, and it was all fenced off by this chain-link fence, which we just took to mean, don't go there unless you're crazy. So not like it was against the law. I don't know if it was or not. But so we pull off our packs, we jump the fence, and we start doing some reading. Yeah, I wouldn't encourage that because there are a lot of people carrying around big guns in Israel, by the way. Um, but we, so we go down and we find these catacombs, these caves. And these caves are probably more than likely, even though in Bethlehem there's churches set up where they believe the place like where Jesus was born, these caves are more than likely the, the kind of place, if not these exact caves, then caves where Jesus was born. So when, I'll let you a little, I hate, I hate to burst your Christmas bubble, there was no inn or no innkeeper. Right, I know. What that really means is there was a connected room because these caves were all connected by staircases and cut out of the, um, cut out of the rock. And, and what that probably means is when Mary and Joseph arrived, there was no extra cave there. So they gave them the cave where they kept their animals and let them sleep in there. That's the manger. Right? Now here's the cool part about it. So, so that image is probably the place, the savior of, not that exact place, but the kind of place the savior of the world was born. 
Now, one, right there, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Two, when, when we climbed back up out, after we kind of made our way through that, we climbed back up out of some of these caves, you look out, all of a sudden we were looking out over a hill. That hill that you're looking at right now, I know it's a little hard to see in my little picture that I took in 2017 with my, with my smartphone, um, that hill is where they used to raise the sheep for the Passover. That's where the shepherds would be. The hillside of Bethlehem, back then it was much greener, or at least this was in the summer, um, and so they would be raising the sheep there. So the reason, so the shepherds, plays into the story later, right? The angel's going to show up to the shepherds. He, they're going to find Jesus because it's not that far a trip. They're, just, they're probably looking over there going, well, I see where the star is. Let's just go check it out. So let's keep going. That was, just, that was all just for free. <laughs> Verse 9. And it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were feel, filled with great fear. The, the word great, doesn't, great fear does not, do, does not do great service to that word. It actually means terrified. It's like, to, it, it conveys the idea that they wet themselves. Now, the reason for that is, we have this, you can see, I don't know if you can see them, but there are these little shepherds down there underneath the feet of that angel. See, what, what we've done, and like when you watch the, the movie, The Nativity, which we watch every year. It's such a great little movie. And yet the, the, the angel that plays Gabriel, is, it's just so joy-sucking. Like, it just takes all the joy of that movie right out of for me because that's what Gabriel looked like, right? Like, I mean, we're talking, like, like they were terrified because this amazing being has them shaking to the core. They are wetting themselves because of what they just have seen. But guys, what they're seeing is a glimpse. Remember, that being isn't even able to, to touch the throne of God. When God calls those beings in Isaiah chapter 6 to the throne, they have to use tongues to take a little bit of God's glory over to Isaiah. Even, even as glorious as they are, they, they, they pale in comparison to the glory of God. And so the glory of God is the story of God. Like it, and, and, and what the shepherds are getting is this one little glimpse of God's glory. But that has always been God's story. So Adam and Eve were, were sharing in the glory of God in the garden, and then they rebelled, and that glory died. That was the death. So they were, in, they were ashamed to be in the presence of the glory of God, and they hid themselves. Fast forward to Abraham. Abraham sees a little bit of the glory of God, and it completely messes up his life. We'll come back to him in a few minutes. Moses, just getting a glimpse of the glory of God, makes his face glow, literally, so much that they put a veil over it. Right? When, when they finally finished the temple, Old Testament survey people, when they finally finished the temple, and, and the Holy Spirit shows up and fills the temple of the Lord, do you remember the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God filled the house of the Lord. That's the glory story. But here's the cool part. Now you're the glory story. If you are Christ's, Christ is in you, his glory is in us. 1 Corinthians, 1, or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us that. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God and that the spirit of God indwells you? His glory indwells you. Paul goes on later, years later, to write in, first, or in uh, Colossians 1, I think it is. He says that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the glory that they're seeing is the glory that has been throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of time, whenever God chooses to reveal it. Now look at um, verse 10. 
It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold. That behold is a command. It's in the imperative. He, it means look. He's like, one, two, three, eyes on me. Look at what I'm about to tell you. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That word there, good news, I mentioned it last week, is the word gospel. It is the word euangelium. He's saying, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the fruition of the story by which you have been waiting. That the Messiah has come. That is the gospel story. And then he says, and I, and I think Tina prayed it, actually, or talked, to, or, or at least said it during her prayer time. He says, I bring you euangelion, the gospel of great joy. The word great there is the biggest word that the angel, that could have been used in the Greek. It, it means mega. It's, it's actually the Greek word for mega. So he's saying, I bring you the gospel of mega joy. But that word joy is even better than joy. You know why? Because that word joy in Greek is kara. It's the same root as the word charis. And charis means grace. He's saying, I bring you the gospel of mega grace. Like, like there's so much grace going on right over there in that little cave. You don't even have any idea is what the angel is saying. I bring you the gospel of mega grace, and then he goes on to say, for on this um, that will be for all people, we talked about that last week a little bit, he says, for unto you, now he's making it personal, unto you guys uh, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He doesn't say today in the city of David is born to you a teacher, a counselor, a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, a world leader. He says, today I bring to you a savior. So look at your second talking points question. God didn't send us a teacher, counselor, healer, though Christ certainly was those things. He didn't send a political leader. He didn't send a doctor. He didn't send a lawyer. Guys, those, there were sick. I mean, there, were, there are people among us, right? There are people that are not among us right now because they're struggling with serious sickness. I understand the desire to have a doctor. Not a bad thing. But what we really need is a savior. Why? Because sin is humanity's biggest problem. See, we think, I think, what's going on in our country politically is our biggest problem. I think what's going on with me physically is my biggest problem. My biggest problem is my sin and yours too. Because I can do nothing about that. But Christ did. That's why it's good news. And only a Savior can be the solution. So, just like we did with the first question, what does being saved mean to you? Quick answers. What does being saved mean to you? Forgiveness. Freedom. Being part of an ever-expanding kingdom. Awesome. Being made right with God. Security. Good, good words. What's that? Deliverance. Awesome, Scott. Jesus is love. Perfect. Steadfast. Love and peace. Because first of all, I love how just spiritually mature this group is becoming as you have. Um, but, but I think to myself, when I wrote that question, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about like the simple things of our faith. Like, what does it really mean to be saved? Like, if somebody walks up to you and goes, what does it mean to be saved? I think many of us would be less comfortable answering that question than we would be saying, can you tell me a little bit about the Ten Commandments? Or could you tell me about the, do what do you believe about the doctrine of fill in the blank? But if we just something simple like, what does it mean to you 
to be saved? Like we, so I think sometimes we struggle more with those simple questions than we do with the hard ones. And so let's, we need to take some time um, to celebrate our salvation, like more time than I need. I know I need to spend more time celebrating my salvation. Guys, this is one of the things that the Lord hit me with as I was praying about how do, we, how do I find joy? Because like Mark, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, right? So you don't want to get up here and share about something you're not experiencing. And, and, and the phrase that he kept hitting me with over and over is, Doug, if nothing in your life is working for you right now, I am. Doug, if nothing, so I'm saying it to you, fill in your name, you, if nothing in your life is working for you, air quotes, because it means I don't think it's working for me, he is. He is always working. That's where we find our joy. That's how we find our peace. That leads us to our next point. So not only is it the announcement that, that we are saved, but it is the proclamation that peace has come. And because we talked about peace last week, I'm going to quickly go through this part, but it's the next couple of verses. So he says in, in verse, I'll finish, up, I'll finish up verse 12. He says, and this will be a sign to you. So Jesus has always been the sign. You will find him a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verse 13, he says, and suddenly, so after they sort of share the story of the, of the gospel being fulfilled in this mega grace moment, this exclamation point on God's story, he says, and this will be a sign for you, or, I'm sorry, um, in verse 13, and suddenly there was an angel um, and a, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising him. So, his, so the other angels show up, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those whom he is pleased. And we talked about how we have, this, how we have peace on earth now because of Romans 5. Roman, back to our, remember we're in Romans, um, we were in Romans all of last year, we'll get back there, Lord willing, in January. Romans 5, it talks about that you, because you have been justified, you've been made right by, by God for God, you now have peace with God, is what Romans 5, 1 talked about. So that's how, that's how we have peace on earth, right? But that peace only comes when we anchor our hearts in the hope of the fulfilled promises, and from that flows the joy that we have. And, and, and I'm not sure we can, I, I think, I think and, and as was beautifully prayed for during our prayer time, I, I think we disconnect hope and peace and joy from God's real plan. And we tend to think of those things circumstantially. And so somebody read part of this during our prayer time, but turn to the right of where we are, go to 1 Peter so it's almost the end of your New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to show you what Peter says about, about how we are to experience peace in the midst of a world that just is so lacking in it. So you got to remember, Peter is fairly soon after he writes 1 Peter, he is going to be crucified upside down. So that's peace in his life. Right? He is writing to a church that is being actively hunted down and destroyed by the Roman Empire. Like he is writing to a, he is writing to a people who are actively being opposed by their government. So they have a lot of things to feel not hopeful, peaceful, or joyful about. And look at what he writes to them. Blessed be the God our Father. So I'm in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you see what he's saying? That's my way. Let's keep looking up. He's like, guys, we, part of our circumstance, we got to keep looking up to where we're going. Heaven, it's there. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He's saying, is that, is that how we talk about it? You were saved when you came to faith in Christ. You are being saved as he sanctifies you in the image of Christ. And you will be saved when he glorifies you. It's all one thing to God, but we experience them linearly. So he's saying there's a salvation being revealed, that's the glory that is to come. And he keeps talking about that. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the testing of your genuine, genuineness of your faith may be more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. May, may, that it may be found to result in the praise and the glory, in the rejoicing and honor of the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Christ comes again, as Kylie brought up in the come thou now expectant Jesus. He's like, that, that's what we're waiting for now. We're a people waiting expectantly. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And I love this. And you rejoice with joy. You rejoice. Remember we're talking the theme, the, the, sub, the, the subtitle of our, of our The Weary World Rejoices is Letting Your Soul Rejoice in the Coming King. Peter's telling us, here's how you do it. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with, there's that word again, glory. Keep looking at the glory of God. Keep looking at the glory of God. He is indwelt you. His glory is in you. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's where our joy is found couple more verses. because I, 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 In light of the angels coming to the shepherds, I can't skip this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours searched carefully. So they're saying the prophets of the Old Testament were trying to figure out when the Christ was going to come. And he goes on to talk about that in verses 11 and 12. But look at the very end of verse 12. He says, or the second half of verse 12. He says, he says these things were for you that were announced to you through those who preach the gospel, the good news, the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now look at this. Things into which angels long to look. Part of why Gabriel is so excited to show up to Mary, to show up to the shepherds, is they, although they, they understand a little bit about God's plan, they don't know how it's all going to unfold either. So they're checking this out. They're like, now how does this work exactly? Because they want to see the good news in action as well. And who are they looking to, guys? Us. Right? And so, so you got to wonder if our brothers in the heavenlies, the angels that we partner with in our prayer life, if they're not looking down at us as believers going, guys, why are you so discouraged? Didn't we bring you the good news of great joy? Didn't we tell you that a Savior has been born for you? Haven't you confessed him as Lord already? Then why are you so downcast? They're like, don't you guys see it? And the answer is, sadly, we don't. So turn to our last talking points question. And again, this was, this was talked about during our, our first hour of our time, and, and nobody knew I was going to talk about it, at least not the people that talked about it. Um, and so I just love how the Holy Spirit works all that out. It says, joy is a choice, and it's grounded in your hopeful and peace-filled perspective. 
of your present circumstances in light of your position in Christ. It all comes back to perspective. And we can only keep that perspective by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So here are some, some, easier, some more easy-to-answer questions at some level. So what are some things that keep our focus on him? I'm asking. Shout out some answers. Being here, fellowship, gathering together as the body of believers, whether it's here in a big group or in smaller groups. Awesome. What else? Prayer. Prayer. What else? The word. What else? Those are the three that we always talk about. Now, now we got the easy ones off. What are some other things that keep your perspective fixed on Christ? Ministry. What's that? Ministry. ministry. What do you mean by that, Scott? Serving God, serving the body of Christ. Serving God, serving the body of Christ. Yeah, I was just talking to a brother at a wedding uh, at, um, at the Morris's wedding, and, and, um, and he was just talking about how be, like, being used by God has made him grow closer to God. Awesome. What else? Prophecy. Prophecy. Like, like recognizing all of these things have been fulfilled for the first coming, and we're living in the time where the things are being for f- fulfilled for his second advent, his second coming. Awesome. What else? Health. Hope. Oh, hope. Awesome. Hope. What else? Abiding. Good. Surround yourself with people that have the same goal, that are, that are, that are looking up to him. Good. What else? Reciting scripture, awesome. Praising, awesome. Like, guys, I, I love, like, so to me, like, one of the things for me has just been turn off all my podcasts that have to do with what's going on in the world, turn, like, and just turn on praise music. You know, just let my soul soak in that and see what that does for my joy, right? Praising Him, good. And it doesn't have to be just music, but that's one way to praise. Uh, what else? Fighting? Okay. Explain that one. <laughs> Good. So seeing the fight as a, I mean, this is me fighting to keep my perspective on Christ. The fight in and of itself, because you, it's a great point, Tom, because like before, before you're in Christ, you're not even thinking about the other perspective. Awesome. How about, go ahead. Cut out the garbage. So that leads us to our second thing, right? Is what kinds of things could we stop doing that, would, that, that are sucking us away from thinking about Christ? And I'm not going to ask for input there. I think, one, I beat that drum a lot up here. And two, I think you can figure it out. But guys, figure out. It, it's, it's part of that, that, um, that New Year's resolution thing that RJ went through. It's that, like, what are some things that you would like to do more of in the coming year? And what are some things you ought to do less of? The joy-sucking things are the things you should do less of. That Whatever those are for you, put those down. So awesome. All right, so why should the gospel bring us good news? It's the announcement that we're saved. It's the proclamation that peace has come. And the last thing is, it's the power that changes lives. It's the power that, so go back to Luke. I think I left you in First Peter. Go back to Luke, and we're going to finish up this passage, starting in verse 15. And we're going to look at how it's the power that changes lives. It says, so remember, those angels that are out on that hillside, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. So let us go over to wherever those holes were and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the, say, the things that were said about them, uh, that were said to them concerning this child. Now, I, the, the question I'm thinking of is like, why, 
why did the angels come to the shepherds in the first place? Like, why shepherds? I mean, this is the greatest event in the history of the world at this point, and the only people that know what's going on are Mary and Joseph and a, and a ragtag bunch of dirty, filthy, low-level shepherds. Why does he come to them? Now, here's what I used to think, and, and, and this is probably partially true. He came to them because they had time. They're out in the fields. It's, not, it's dark. They're, 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 they're not very busy. They're, I think that might be part of it, but I think that there's a lot more to it I think he came to them because they were willing to have their lives interrupted. Guys, the story of the gospel is a glory story that is filled with lives that have been interrupted. Right? It is an interruption of, it is a willingness to be partnering with Jesus in the gospel. And what I mean by that is coming to faith in Christ and then all the way to serving and multiplying and discipling. It is a life of interruption. How do I know that? Abraham's life was interrupted, right? He, I don't know where God just says, you're the one. David's life was interrupted. Moses' life was interrupted, right? Peter and Paul's life were interrupted. Paul was, what, Paul was on the fast track to, to pharisaical glory, and Jesus interrupts his life, right? Now, now, there are different ways that God does that to us, but guys, has, has your, are you willing to have your life interrupted. You know, 15, 16 years ago, if somebody would have said to me, you're going to be pastoring a church when I was on the fast track at, in the Peoria Unified School District as an administrator, I would have said, you're crazy. And God says, here we go, right? Are you willing to have your life interrupted? I think the shepherds were, but here's why they were. They knew themselves to be nothing, they, the shepherds were considered the lowliest of low in, in the time that Jesus was born. They had no place to look but up, guys. So they're out there in the fields knowing, remember, Paul, or God tells us in a couple of places, like in, um, in, in um, Isaiah 66, he says, to this one who I will look, the one who is gentle and lowly and trembles at my word. In Micah, I think it's Micah 6, 8, he says, I've told you what I expect of you, O man. What do, I, what do I require of you? To do justly, to love deeply, and to walk humbly. The people that God goes to are the humble people. And so these shepherds, probably because they had no other choice, are, are primed for that moment to come to them. So let's keep going, but, but I want to show you just, we're going to finish this up with a glimpse at three different types of people or three different groups that, that take the gospel that these shepherds have just told them about, and what do they do with it? So look at verse 18. Here's the first, per, first people. The, and all who heard, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The word wondered there means marveled. So the first group is like all the people who heard what the shepherds said about the fulfillment of the gospel coming in this moment, they heard it and they wondered about it. They marveled at it, but they didn't do anything with it. How do we know? Because where are they for the next 30 years? All these people who heard whatever they were saying marveled at, the, at, the, at how beautiful the gospel message is and then just let it go because they're nowhere to be found for the next 30 years. Next one is in verse 19. But Mary, she treasured these things. Treasured means she guarded these things. She guarded these things, 
pondering them. Pondering means weighing them. She treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And, and I think to myself, in Mary's case, I think, like, how remarkable is this young woman? Her life has been blown up. Like, like, like she, her life, talk about a life interrupted, like in a massive way. Her life has been forever changed, but, but so has her eternity. And that's what makes it possible for her to see this as good news. Because she has this vertical relationship with God. She, she writes this amazing song when she gets the good news that she's going to hold the Messiah. She, she, her vertical relationship with the Lord is what gave her the ability to live with joy this way. So we have to be that way as well because it grew her closer to God. And then the last group are the shepherds. Look at what happens with the shepherds. It says in verse 20, in verse 20 it says, And the shepherds t- returned, so they went back to their fields, back to their sheep, glorifying, there's that word again, and praising, rejoicing, soul rejoicing, praising God for all that they had heard and seen from all that had been told them. It reminds me of Acts 4, where Peter and James and John are told to stop talking about Jesus. And, he, and they say, we cannot stop speaking about everything we've seen and heard. The question is, are we that way? Like, are we at a place where, where we cannot, we have so embraced the hope and the peace and the joy that Jesus has brought, that the good news has brought to us, that we can't stop telling people about it. In, in the words we say, in how we live our lives, in our countenance, in our social media posts, in our whatever it is, can we really live that way? Can, can you really live in that, in that way? Guys, last week I mentioned the four and 40 and four principle. How do we live in this mega joy when the average 40-year-old smiles four times a day and the average four-year-old smiles 40 times a day? Like, that's, that's not right. right? We, if we're the mature ones in Christ, shouldn't we have more joy than our kids do even? And yet it's drastically the opposite. Why? Because we let the things of this world bog us down. We let, guys, the, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan does. He does it with your hope. He does it with your peace. And most of all, he does it with your joy. He is a joy-sucking enemy. But Christ came that you might have life and have it abundantly, he says. He says in John 15, he says, I speak these things that you might have joy and that your joy might be full. That's the promise he put in you when he put himself in you. Does that describe us? Does does rejoicing, glorifying, and praising God for all that we've seen him do, does that describe you? If nothing else in your life is working for you right now, do you really believe he is? Not was, is. Guys, he is at the the right hand of the Father right now making intercession on your behalf in this very moment. And he never stops. That's the good news. That's the mega grace good news of the gospel. That Christ came and lived the life we could not live. To die the death we deserved. That we might live his life. And that was the first time. That was the cross. He knew when he came it was, he was going to go to the cross. We'll celebrate that in communion in a few minutes. But as the music team comes up, guys, I want to I remind you to point forward to the next coming. 
to his second advent. Because not only did he, not o- I say only, oh my goodness, it's, it's, almost, it's almost blasphemous just to say, not only did he come once to die for our sins as our Savior, but he's coming again to bring us home because he has already secured your salvation and mine. Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? If those things are true, if you believe the Christmas story, then what awaits us is more glory than you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a grand glory uh, storytelling God. Lord, I thank you that, that all of the promises of God that have come together to, to, to that moment when the angels show up and say, we bring you the euangelion, the gospel, the good news, the best news that, that the world has ever heard, that, that this, this news of mega grace, that a Savior has been born for us. Lord, I, I pray that, that, we would, that we would cling to that because it really is everything. That if if nothing else is going right in our lives right now in this moment, you are. You are. And And if we will keep our perspective there on you, looking up, then the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So as we continue to respond to what you have for us, Lord, I pray that we would just open our hearts up to you. Lord, I pray for those that that don't yet know you, that you have not yet come into them, that that today would be the day that their heart of stone would become a heart of flesh, that they would not leave here today without talking to somebody about, about what it means to press into Jesus as you go, as you enter into them. And Lord, for those of us that can that can get so distracted, and that the distraction leads to discouragement and even despair. Lord, I pray that you would get our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen.